This season of the Arts Explanatory Comma Podcast is brought to you in part by the City of Houston and Houston Arts Alliance. Houston Arts Alliance is a local arts and culture organization whose principal work is to implement the City of Houston's vision, values, and goals for its art grant making and civic art investments. HAA's work is conducted through contracts with the City of Houston, overseen by the Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs. HAA also executes privately funded special projects to meet the needs of the arts community, such as disaster preparation, research on the state of the arts in Houston, and temporary public art projects that energize neighborhoods. In short, HAA helps artists and arts nonprofits be bold, productive, and strong. We want to say thank you to Houston Arts Alliance and the City of Houston for your support of our little podcast. Now, let's get to it. Yo, welcome, welcome, welcome to Arts Explanatory Comma Podcast Season 2. We are so glad to be back. We're so sorry it took so long, but thank you all for listening. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Mark Francis. I am your host. The whole team is back this season. Raquel Simone and my lovely wife, Vernique Francis. You won't be hearing from those two today but you will be hearing from them throughout the season. Uh, You'll definitely be hearing from Raquel Simone on this first episode where we talk to Deidre Thomas of Houston Arts Alliance, which I'm sure you heard at the intro that Arts Explanatory Comma is partially funded by Houston Arts Alliance and City of Houston. So shout out to them for that. Shout out to you all for your support and for listening to us. This message is to let you guys know a couple things, right? So number one, you are not going to get a long drawn out intro episode. This is all the intro episode that you're going to get because the wait for us to come back was longer than we had anticipated. So we're just going to jump right in. Two, you will hear us reference a conversation with Erin McClarity of Erin McClarity PLLC. Everyone loves Erin and her work because she does amazing things. You will hear the full conversation between Arts Explanatory Comma team and Erin McClarity. However, we felt like this episode was the most appropriate to kick this season off with. Houston Arts Alliance does amazing things for artists and arts organizations, and we're going to get into all of that. The hows, the whys, and all of those good things. And Miss Deidre Thomas is an integral part of that entire process. So we would like you guys to sit back, enjoy the conversation, take notes, because she's dropping a lot of knowledge that my artists and arts organizations definitely need in order to propel them forward. So buckle up, season two, episode one. Hey, just quick heads up. This podcast may contain some adult language and adult themes. So if you got kids around, tell them earmuffs. If you're at work, put your headphones on. Just make sure you're not about to get in trouble for listening to this. Also, remember that it is all in artistic context. We're not just out here talking crazy for no reason. All the time, anyway. Um, But stay tuned. Yes, I am recording. Okay. We, we, we are recording. We are live. We're not well, live, not live, but, but we're, we're recording. recording. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are here with Deidre Thomas. And Deidre works for Houston Arts Alliance 
which is a very special place for us because as you've heard at the opening of this, we are partially funded by Houston Arts Alliance, which we really thank them for that. We thank anybody who gives us money. <laughs> but Deidre Thomas is fueled by a passion to serve others and build creative, sustainable, inclusive, and engaged communities. Uh, she currently leads the grants division at Houston Arts Alliance as the associate director, where she oversees six funding initiatives that award over 300 grants annually to Houston artists, arts and non-arts organizations. Her experiences in the field have shaped her community-minded approach to co-creating creative, sustainable, and inclusive opportunities for Houstonians, and especially artists that have historically been excluded from the funding landscape, which is definitely in line with what we do here at Arts Explanatory Comma. She holds a Bachelor's of Art in Sociology from University of Houston. Go Cougs. Go Cougs. Uh, Go Cougs. Okay. <laughs> 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 kind of late, but you know, I got it in there. <laughs> it's, it's all good. It's all good. Um, and she also holds a minor in African American Studies and Certificate in Nonprofit Management from the Nonprofit Leadership Alliance. Uh, when Deidre is not advocating for the arts, she's spending time bike riding, reading, or tending to her 30 plus indoor plants that I could never care for because they oh, were. You're a plant mom, plant mom. I am a plant mom, plant mom. My aloe. I was going to say, I'm my aloe. When you read that out loud, it makes me sound like really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Awkward is the new cool. Awkward is the new cool. But welcome, Deidre. Welcome. Thank, Thank you, you for this. Thank we know that for... we've got you in a the middle of the work day. It's not insane at all. <laughs> <laughs> it is not insane at all. We went, you know, live on Facebook earlier today yeah. and Instagram. So the other team members were on Instagram and nice. first time uh, we did that. So just trying to expand um, accessibility in different ways and try out different um, platforms. And so I was just solo sitting at my desk responding to questions. Yeah. Trying not to once again look awkward <laughs> <laughs> on video that lives forever. Um, I mean, that's why we have a podcast instead of yeah, <laughs> right. Even though that gets awkward sometimes yes. too. Yeah, but, they don't see yeah. the look on our face. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but do you ever like in in talking feel like people can see like the look or yes. hear it in your voice yes. or okay? I feel so. like everyone feels when I side eye mark, and yeah. this one's like, which okay. is often, yes. often. Because you weren't here when we were telling Yeti, but um, I do what is called a lot of shit talking. Okay. Um, <laughs> that I mean, you know, that's the benefit that's of brand. having a podcast. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? You, yeah. you can do what you want. Right. But, uh, but yeah, so she side-eyes me often. And my wife, who is our producer, nice. often <laughs> side So you get on both sides. Yeah. yeah. It's just all the yeah. time. But it doesn't stop you from doing it. No, not at all. It doesn't determine okay. anything that encourages you. Ex yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. So if you, if you feel awkward, Mm -hmm. Just go with it. Okay. That's what that's it. his life motto. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is. Nice. Uh, it's pretty close to yeah. it. Um, <laughs> so let's start at an important beginning, not the beginning, but an important beginning. When did your passion for the arts and arts community and serving others begin? So really good question. Um, in terms of like serving others, that's always been something that I wanted to to do. Uh, I started off at University of Houston and I got my, my undergrad in uh, sociology 
and then um, I worked in education for many years. Um, but being a 20 something working in like middle schools when students are having all kinds of like identity crisis and everything, it's you are you either thrive or you, you get just out. kind of get out. And so I chose <laughs> to get out um, and um, and wasn't quite sure. So I had like two passions. It was like saving the world. So doing social work or like working with students okay. and then also fashion. So um, I ended up working at Charming Charlie's corporate office, but okay. I also found out that that wasn't my cup of tea either. Um, and um, but I picked up, you know, some some skills there that certainly have helped me along yeah. um, on my career path. And uh, from there, I went to University of Houston, worked in their financial aid office. That was awful. Um, not because of like the people or the school or anything of that uh, in nature, but more so just having to sit there and tell students that like they're not going to, there's nothing I can do about their financial aid. They're not going to have enough money to start the semester, yeah. that they're going to have to go home, that their parents, you know, hearing from them that their parents don't support them, mm -hmm. but then they can't you can't get around being um, a dependent. Yeah. And so all of those types of issues, I decided that also wasn't for me. Um, and so I was applying uh, to jobs and this was on indeed.com. So indeed is, you know, a good source for uh, finding employment. Absolutely. And I applied uh, and I started off as a grants coordinator. So they hired me on mm -hmm. and then um, I think in the first two or so months of my time, um, here, one of the shows that I went to um, at Art League was uh, Lovey Olivia, and it was Damask. Mm, and yes. um, she had the portraits of women um, um, who are like vulnerable in those moments, talking yeah. about like their mental health struggles, depression, you know, uh, bipolar disorders, all of those things. And she hosted the panel, and it was like at that moment, um, I knew that I was like, okay, like art serves a greater purpose yeah. and um, it can bring people, it can um, create empathy in others. It allows people to, you know, like we're not shoving a message down their throat necessarily, but yeah. allows them to stumble upon something and learn something in a, um, in a neutral kind of environment. Yeah. And I, and so it was like, at that time I was like, okay, this, you know, this is great. This is what I want to do. I get to support, um, artists and their work and it was a HAA funded grant so mm -hmm. that was also really yeah really cool and so after that I mean the rest is history yeah I just love it so yeah. that was that show Damask was when the art kind of came together with this, serving others mm -hmm. and it just kind of connected yeah because um, I mean my job is pretty cool I literally get to just give money to artists and <laughs> arts organizations and I mean it can be stressful it is political there are all kinds of um, things that come with it but at the end yeah. of the day like the basics of what I do is providing resources to artists and yeah. arts organizations yeah yeah and so. I mean Thank you for that because it's important to us yes. <laughs> and <laughs> all of the people that we've been able to interview. I think everyone except for maybe two mm -hmm. were HAA 
uh, awardees. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, that's You're a great darling thing. amongst our past. Okay. Yeah, for, yeah, that's for great. Sure. I think for a lot of people, it is like a first type uh, kind of grant opportunity. Yeah. And for a lot of arts organizations, it's kind of an, an endorsement. So you can, once you've gotten this grant, you can go to other sources or at least to build your confidence in applying for other opportunities. Um, and so... Yeah. I think it's a good like first start for people yeah. and then a continued you know yeah. um, resource if you continue to apply and take advantage absolutely so can you tell us more about what Houston Arts Alliance is and what the mission is yeah so we are the local arts agency um, one of four contractors with the city of Houston who's responsible for administering um, what we call uh, the hotel occupancy tax and what that is is when someone books a hotel room, um, they pay a tax, and a portion of that tax goes to, uh, to support arts and culture. Um, the state mandates that a municipality, a city, can use 19.3%, and the city of Houston um, allows for the use of the total 19.3% to support the arts. So essentially, like they could, they could say, "I want 16% to go to the arts, and we're going to spend, you know, the other 3.3% on something else." But they fully utilize what's available, and that is around 16 million every year in um, funding to the arts. Um, Houston Arts Alliance receives about 40% of that, and that goes to, um, and so we do the largest distribution in terms of how many grantees and how many artists are funded. And last year, it was about $7.1 million to 387 artists and arts organizations. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So when I say we're insane, like, yeah. that is why. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so... Uh, and we've been in existence for over 10 years. Um, and I know we'll talk a little bit about the transition that the yeah. organization has taken in the last couple of years, which I'm really excited yeah. about. Um, and But last, I would say last year, or 2017, was when we like did an overhaul. And 2018 was the first iteration of that overhaul. And so we're really, really you know proud of all of those yeah. changes and seeing the results of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you. Okay. So um, actually, let's go ahead and talk about that uh, that transition because we actually mentioned it uh, when we talked to Erin McClarity. Yes. Um, and Love because, Aaron. Yeah, she's awesome. awesome. She's so um, amazing. Erin John, who is the Houston Arts Alliance CEO, mm -hmm. uh, and myself were, well, I moderated a panel for um, Leadership Houston. Right. Where John and Aaron and I talked about equity and diversity in the Houston art scene. And that's, you know, it's it's more than just a buzzword mm -hmm. <laughs> or a buzz phrase. Um, it is something that's really important. And when we start looking at the numbers where 85 percent of the people who work in arts, 85 percent of the work that is created, uh, well, that is shown in galleries and um museums and other art institutions even universities is uh white non-hispanic or eurocentric artwork and and things like that like it's kind of time to start talking about the other people that exist right. <laughs> who make art and are the inspirations for art and things like that um and i know houston arts alliance is um that's basically what the transition is 
figuring out how to get these things done. So mm-hmm. I, I talked a little bit about it, but can you <laughs> tell us yeah, more about y'all's transition? I'll expand on it. So, um, oh, I guess it was the end of 2016 or begin. I don't know on the timeline, but it's been yeah. about two years yeah. uh, with this transition taking place. And John came on board um, as our CEO and immediately some of the like major changes he made is just that I think we were more um, we were more focused on certain things, but it wasn't a customer oriented focus. Yeah. And so we made a pivot as an organization that we are um, in a, a cultural shift um, where we are about service to community and that community luckily we are in Houston it is diverse and everybody has different needs so then it was about identifying what those needs are and making significant changes to our grant programs to accommodate the different ways that people um, express themselves artistically (laughs) may write or articulate the value of their work so changing like the structure of the applications the questions in the applications um and then um being actually we were kind of very much like white ivory tower everyone had to come here if they wanted to learn about grants we were never out in the community um but there's nothing that um greater than that kind of like word of mouth yeah. um like marketing and people getting to um getting to know about different opportunities through their friends or someone you know like you know artists in your family you saw something on your um facebook or where, wherever it was um that they were not aware of yeah. but you you know you call them text them whatever you let them know and no matter how much we do that kind of stuff whatever like um promoting stuff through our regular channels via um, our e-newsletter on social media. We're not on the ground then talking to people who will then talk to like other people. Mm -hmm. And so that was the strategy that changed as well. Um, So in the first year, streamlining our applications, making them more simple to apply, um, changing the language so that it's clear to understand our processes. being on the ground, talking to people and building relationships, yeah. not just facilitating a process. Um, so we're more concerned, not just about like the work that we have to do, but who the work is supporting. Yeah. And um, being very strategic in creating like partnerships for us to be able to uh, increase awareness and accessibility to accessibility to the grant pro- programs. And then the other aspect of that is just looking at our panel process. So not having the various cultural perspectives. I mean, in the past, our our panels were very um, homogeneous. Like they looked like one group of, of people yeah. and they're assessing these applications and don't necessarily understand mm-hmm. um, like, uh, things are specific to a certain culture yeah. where like it could be something as simple as marketing like um, a lot of Latinx people get on radio and that's how they promote their arts and cultural activities and so someone else may think of that as being outdated but in actuality it's not it's yeah. a proven method for them to get people to their events yeah. and so without that perspective on the panel we wouldn't, um, that person wouldn't have scored well. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then that would have prevented them from getting a grant. And so making certain that our panelists are representative of all of the um, applications that or the applicant pools, so the various uh, identities and providing that um, cultural perspective has yeah. made a huge shift in the way things are adjudicated. Yeah. So those are, that's like high level in yeah. terms of all of the changes. And so I'd say that like that also changed the culture because mm -hmm. as you're going out and having conversations with people, like then they're real, like the real people who, um, it's not just like someone shooting you an email or hopping on the phone, bugging yeah. you about, you know, a question that's in the guidelines. Yeah. And it helps us understand like what we think might be clear may not be that clear. And allows us to continuously improve our processes to ensure that we're meeting people where they are and not asking them to jump over like tons of hurdles in order yeah. to get these dollars. Okay. How has, how has the transition kind of affected your personal outlook because I think that's that's an interesting thing to think about because you know in the arts uh, community and within a lot of arts organizations it is very much okay I'm the ink dot I'm gonna do my job and <laughs> I'm not I'm not able to help people that look like me if I do see people that look like me it's like one out of like 275 mm -hmm. you know so has that changed I guess your your just your outlook um, on work and even like personal life, like well, the opportunity. Well, no, I think certainly, because I think you can, like, it's not enough for an organization to hire a person of color in a position. I think that person has to then have, like, the intention to actually want to do work to to um, make people aware of the different, like, issues that are facing their community, yeah. other communities, um, and them also caring about what affects their community yeah. and creating systems and processes and procedures yeah. that would um, make those situations better. And um, I think it was easier, it was easy to kind of subscribe to like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is a privilege to get these dollars. So yeah. they should come here. They should have a conversation mm -hmm. with that. And I think the, I certainly, like did a pivot myself in terms of how I work as an arts administrator um, and recognizing the errors in the way that we um, operated in the past. Mm -hmm. And so I think that just having conversations with people, understanding how meaningful it is to get this funding, how um, meaningful it is to have a conversation, I'm thinking, oh, this is like whatever, you know, like in the past, like, yeah this is just more time we're out of office yeah. I can't get this thing done as opposed to looking at it like I actually helped somebody yeah. and even though I I want to serve people and that's how I am it doesn't mean that you don't get caught up in yeah. in all of the um, or wait the 
organization's culture as it was. And so um, I think it's just about having a voice. I mean, my team is extremely diverse. And so Yadi is um, Salvadorian and Quang is Vietnamese. And so we have all these different um, perspectives in the room. And I think it's really important in terms of representation. So they're out in the community. Yadi can speak um, Spanish. She can speak to people about the grants process and translate it and break it down. And um, Quang can do the same thing. And we have that before Mm -hmm. and I think in just not even being able to like accommodate other people's needs and understanding um, how important that aspect of it is too then also having someone that you can go and talk to because especially in this like climate now you may see someone and may not trust just based off like how they look you may not trust the process you may not want to go have a conversation about grants because you don't think that you're going to be treated fairly based on who's coming in and telling you you know the different uh how to apply and all those different kinds of things so i think it makes a big difference in um in having that that representation yeah so I don't know if I actually answered the question. No, but, you did. You um, did. You did. Okay. And actually, like, I want to share something with you because you talked about like not knowing how uh, or not understanding how the grants help. Mm-hmm. So, and I shared this last season um, on every episode from halftime on. But oh, yes. uh, last November, uh, when I was applying for the uh, LCH Let Creativity Happen grant, um, I was actually also in the midst of dealing with a terrible battle of uh, with depression um, where I was um, pro- a hair away from being hospitalized um, for suicidal and homicidal thoughts, which is scary shit in the world. Um, but uh, on the back end of that, that was November. Uh, my birthday is November 8th. So. November the 8th was my second time going into um, the emergency room for such thoughts. And then on the heels of that, the early part of December, mm-hmm. I get an email saying, hey, you've been awarded the Let Creativity Happen grant. And like that shit was amazing. It was a win that I needed. And in terms of art money, you know, the Let Creativity Happen grant, it's not a whole lot. But when you need a win to continue doing what you're doing, Mm -hmm. that shit is big. I think I cried. (laughs) No, I totally understand that. (laughs) Sometimes when, yeah, like when these, I mean, not to equate uh, that issue with something like an everyday work frustration. But when, I guess like when things do get hard here, um, when I do every so often get an email from an artist saying, this was really great, like it really helped me in this moment, or not even, it doesn't even have to be something serious or tied to something serious. It could be like, this helped me complete my project, period. It's always like the thing that would keep me going um, and keep me motivated. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that's so, really nice. Thank to you hear. all for that because that was <laughs> a, a very very big deal. We had just started the podcast halfway through the season. Um, I was there were several days I called in to. I was a teacher. There were several mm-hmm. days I called in to work because I just couldn't do it. Because yeah. driving to the campus just ramped up my anxiety so high. Um, so you know that was a huge huge deal. And um, I mean, in it, it's 
interesting because it's like it, aside from my situation Houston Arts Alliance is important because a lot of artists this this notion that people have of the ro- the romanticized starving artist mm-hmm. trope ain't shit cute about that like <laughs> <laughs> no it's not no people should people need to eat and yeah. it's crazy because you know art isn't and is not recognized as like a profession yeah not just um from like like an official standpoint but people's families yeah. and it's just like why would you go and do that and half the time when I talk about what I do they'll understand even just from a I'm giving people money to do art yeah. um, no one understands so I can't even imagine what it's like to have to continuously explain yourself yeah. and wanting to just create and how hard it is and how often like society tells you that it's stupid you shouldn't do it you're going to be poor and blah 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 and so it's like Sometimes people, if you hear it enough, then you like manifest that narrative yeah. in your life, and I can't even imagine like it's 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 a uh, it's not fun. It's weird. <laughs> what does a typical week in your role look like? Oh, um. <laughs> <laughs> something tells me nothing typical. About um, I mean, our work is cyclical, but you know, you never know like what different things will arise. Yeah. Um, but uh, so we run a process for grant opportunities. So it is, um, I would say that like a good like sixty or seventy percent of the work is just being in conversation with people all the time. So answering questions. Um, outreach just to make sure that people are aware um, and then follow up after we've had that initial conversation and um, and that's like answering emails answering phone calls going out and hosting workshops um, and then the other like 30 percent is making sure that the structures or the infrastructure is working um, so that's like our um, grant management systems you know, revising language on the website. Um, so a, a, a week looks like all of those things. Mm-hmm. And then um, on occasion, I need to get so much better about this, is actually going out to support the events that we find. <laughs> yeah. I, um, it's weird because I'm like in this like public facing role, but I am such an introvert. So most of the time I'm like, oh, I've talked to like 20 people today Mm -hmm. and I'm exhausted and I'm gonna go home and like go to bed because Mm -hmm. I'm like worn out. And, um, but the other component is just being out there because it's it's like one thing to give money, it's another thing to actually show up Mm -hmm. and like show your support um, for those events. Mm -hmm. And so it's in the office, on the phone, shooting emails, um, checking all of our like systems, and then in the evening it's going to events and just showing your face, even if it's just for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. So that's like a typical week. So what's the most difficult part of your role? Um, I think that um, because it is money, and in a lot of ways sometimes it's people's livelihoods, mm-hmm. it's hard to like say no, and it's also hard because you don't, you can't always please everybody. You know, it's like limited um, funding, and that's to some degree a mind frame, mm-hmm. but limited funding, and so you can't give money to every single person who comes through the door. And they're not, not every single person is gonna be happy with what you 
do mm. and you can't always accommodate i mean we work within certain restrictions it's state mandated funding it has a very specific purpose um and so knowing that we have to work within certain parameters mm -hmm. and we're trying to achieve certain results is sometimes really difficult. Yeah. yeah. So I guess. Uh, I want to. I'm sorry. Okay, I know no, you're about ahead. to. But um, just kind of thinking about the like the equity piece mm -hmm. um, and just the idea that so the dollars are supposed to promote um uh, the hotel industry, tourism, and lot, and, and the convention industry. Mm -hmm. um, so essentially, having these arts events drives people to want to come and visit yeah. Houston. And I think the notion that um, a tourist or a visitor looks one way, does one thing, is a part of you yeah. know like one class. Um, is often a hurdle to get over because people understand that people come and visit the city for a variety of reasons mm -hmm. and they want to take in different experiences. Um, and so sometimes it's difficult for people to understand like, hmm, I don't think anyone's going to travel to yeah. this side of town and, you know, attend an art event and do this kind of thing. And so also it's helping people understand that visitor and tourist looks like very broad. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have, there isn't one identity for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that kind of, <laughs> that, that brings me back to a thought that I had uh, when we were speaking with Aaron about Houston and as a city and as um, an art scene, being the, the cool kid that doesn't understand he's cool. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like yes. we have so much to offer and we don't think about it beyond the scope that other people see us through. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, you know, I, I had this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. People love to come to Houston and see the Museum of Fine Arts. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, I'm lying. I have a problem with that, but that's a whole other. <laughs> let's not get started. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not. I'm we're, not going down we're, that we're, one. we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. But the thing is, like, there's so much more to see. Mm -hmm. Like, just in terms of museums, mm -hmm. we have more museums than any other city yeah. in this country. But then also, we have a very, very rich arts community mm -hmm. that spans the the entire what are we 145 different nationalities or something like, something crazy something like crazy that. something crazy but you know we don't we don't think of that mm -hmm. because some of the things we don't think of as art right so the the conversation between art and craft like that's a conversation an age old mm -hmm. conversation that we have in the arts community but it's like there's so many cool things to see along those lines. Right. There's, you know, no matter what language you speak, you can see something. Like, it's in Houston does not, we don't embrace that nearly as much as we should. I think we're starting to, mm -hmm. and we're starting to talk, like people are starting to talk to their friends. You need to come to Houston for X, Y, Z. And art magazines are starting to write about it and things like that. And they're like, wow, okay, people are moving to Houston. People are right. making art in Houston. Oh my God, everybody's blowing up in Houston. So it's kind of like, all right, I, I I think I do look good in this leather jacket that I got yeah. from, my, from, from my granddad. I think I'm 
I'm guilty yeah. of that too. Because as a native Houstonian, all I knew was the Manil and MFA. Mm-hmm. I didn't really, until recently, when I started having conversations with Mark, realize how rich our art community was. And it took me going last summer. Project Row House did a bus tour uh-huh. to see um, the neighborhood, and I saw. Right. I went for the Jesse Lot tour. Okay. And I was like, I went to U of H, and that um, it's a metro outdoor sculpture. It's a lady, like right by U of H. And I was like, I've lived in this neighborhood ten years, never even noticed it. Mm-hmm. And then going, and I was like, oh, this is all around me. This is the neighborhood I grew up in. All of this is fine art, or maybe I didn't think of it as fine art at that time. But as my perspective started to shift, I was like, oh wow our art community is much deeper (laughs) and should be celebrated as such. And so I think that's why these projects are more meaningful to me because it's like, oh, kind of got to go hard for your hometown first Mm -hmm. and understand it. And so that exposure is important. Yeah, no, absolutely. I had a similar experience because when I, I'm a Houston native too and same thing. I mean, but as a, (laughs) as a kid, when you are taken to um, different, um, art institutions it's usually the bigger ones or they come to your school Mm -hmm. but they also have the resources to Mm -hmm. do that kind of like outreach and um i think it was at this job when i was sitting in my first panel when i was just like wow i never knew like all (laughs) of these you know things existed and you know i don't know like how you it's one of the things that we're working on in terms of how do we talk about arts and culture in Houston Um, how do we you know do the Anthony Bourdain thing and like come here and um, talk about it in in an exciting manner that shows the like diversity in um, both people the artistic and cultural expression Um, I think one of the things that we did at HAA that was helpful is in changing our language. Mm-hmm. And um, so it used to be like, we had very specific art forms, um, especially for individual art, well, for all of our grant programs to which you could apply. So if you didn't identify in any one of those categories, then it'd be hard for you to see yourself yeah. being successful in this program or even being eligible for it. So it was just like very traditional art forms dance, literary arts, um, music, film, and visual arts. And you had to select which one you Mm. um, belong to. And now we we ask that, well, no, we don't ask that. We just ask that you like write in what's your artistic or creative um, practice. And for you to describe it and tell us what your art form is as opposed to you having to fit yeah in a certain category yeah well the artistic landscape has changed in that way mm-hmm. also where there aren't very many people that are strict painters or sculptors mm-hmm. or performance artists everybody is doing everything yeah and it's <laughs> it's a beautiful thing because it shows like for individual artists it shows their their dynamism their range mm-hmm. as humans right which you know a, a painter can do that in their work spe- right. specifically through the medium of painting but, you know, it adds a whole nother layer when, you know, um, it's funny because I, I talked to uh, Robert Hodge about it and like through what they did with the beauty box mm-hmm. and then the uh, the music that he's doing also. But then the collages, the screen printing or the printing, the printmaking process that he uses, the drawing, the fact that, you know, 
honestly, with Robert, you kind of never know what you're going to get. Right. Same same with Rebea and <laughs> mm-hmm. Lovey and Delita. Like, all these people are doing so many awesome things that it's kind of hard to be like, check one box. Right. Like, <laughs> you just fit into one thing, one yeah. category. No, it's amazing. And I think... Um, the selfish uh, parts of me that love this job are the fact that I get to live vicariously through other people who are creative and can make things. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want me to like nail anything into the wall, <laughs> draw anything. <laughs> like you don't, you don't want me to do like any of those things. I am not like an artist, um, but that's what I think I appreciate yeah. so much is the the dynamism, the talent that people possess, um, their origin stories, like how did you just kind of like get here, where did you start, Um, and like what the the future holds for that person, that's uh, like another kind of exciting aspect of my job. Although I did start a ceramics class, it's going really interesting because I might be (laughs) a little bit of a control freak, and so like everybody else in the class is like, making like five different things or just going one after the other and I'm like being super meticulous and just like I did in the last two classes I think everybody else did about five pieces and I did one and I was like do you have like neutral because I'm not really like neutral um what do you call it like the gloss that you paint the the glaze the glaze um see don't even have the terms the glaze and um and the like they didn't have like any neutral colors yeah. i didn't want to do all this like fancy drawings and floral yeah. patterns and all this that kind of stuff on it i just wanted it to be plain yeah and um yeah and everybody else is like having a party with their pods <laughs> <laughs> but i mean so and this is also a conversation we have often like mm-hmm. everybody is an artist in some way right mm-hmm. the way that you curate your own look right like your interest in fashion Right. So you have on what looks like a vintage dress. It's not vintage, it's not. but it looks vintage. Well, see, there you go. But <laughs> either way, beautiful. So it is. But someone may see that mm-hmm. on you or on a hanger and be like, oh, I could never pull that off. That right there, like the way that you curate your own look, that's art. That's a thing. Yeah, it's right? a thing. Like, it's, well, I'm always like every every time or anytime someone's like, oh, I like your glasses. Like I have this thing in the back of my head. I'm glasses like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, I Thank really you. like your glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. My friend was like, you're you're so much more interesting on the outside, like exteriorly. <laughs> and granted, <laughs> like it's just because I'm like, I'm a homebody. I like to go home. I like yeah. to, you know, like watch my Netflix and chill. Like being out in the streets isn't really like my thing. And but I present interesting like i'm out there doing all of the the stuff but I'm, and there's nothing wrong yeah, with that yeah no, absolutely and this like, is where yes I'm, this is how i'm loud you're like maybe like four or five photos of you looking down at the ground from your instagram feed being an influencer feed like it's very <laughs> <laughs> I did not know where he was going with that. (laughs) Me neither. I was just like, okay. No, it's a very interesting feed. Like, and yes, your glasses are definitely part of that, right? Like, that's part of your personality. Yeah. That's, we all have to think, I think we should all think about the things that we do Mm -hmm. that make us feel good as art. Yeah. Right? Because essentially, when you talk to a lot of artists, making mm-hmm. makes us feel great like yeah, absolutely i love i may not like sitting down and editing photos all the time but i love the process of shooting mm-hmm. right i love it i love the process of my drawings and paintings and all, I, I love all of that right so but also 
I love getting online and looking at new frames as well. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> kind of a thing that I like to do. Um, hats, sneakers, like the, it's all, it all it's goes like into the expression. same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's your form of expression. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll become a ceramicist and, you know, you'll see my work somewhere on or or not. Or you could run, which I just discovered that this mm-hmm. exists on uh, a great Netflix show that me and my wife binged over the weekend. Uh, Styling Hollywood oh, with Jason oh, Bolden. Oh, I love that show. Oh, my and, God. So uh, Curtis, what is his name? Uh, Adair Curtis. Adair, Adair Curtis. Curtis. Yeah. So I I mean, back in my days when I was like, oh, I'm going to do fashion, yeah. you actually have to be able to sell stuff, right? <laughs> and so like the other thing I like about my job is I don't have to sell trying to give people money. That's, like, that's you, true. You just, sells yeah, yeah, it sells itself. Um, not to say like there are some cases in which we have to sell it, but um as in, like, I'm not sure if I should apply because yeah. I don't trust the process type of thing. <laughs> but other than that, I'm not selling anything. So I worked retail, and I was horrible at it. Like, <laughs> just horrible because it's just like, yes, you should just buy this purse. It it has things. It has compartments. Yeah. It will function properly. And they'd be like, oh, you don't right. want it? Okay, right. I'm sorry. Like, sorry yeah. I showed it to you. Where other people, you know, come up with, like, elaborate ways to yeah. sell your, mm-mm. Well, it's but very, there was a, you know, like, black and white for me. There was a style library. Which I didn't know that was a thing. And mm-hmm. it's essentially a lady that collects clothing. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. high-end clothing. Mm-hmm. Like, that seems like it would be a cool thing to do. Yeah. You wouldn't like to do that? No, no. It's basically just I, having a closet and letting yeah. people borrow stuff. I also purge. Like, every time um, that my apartment has too much stuff in it, <laughs> and I'm, like, looking around, and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't live here. Yeah. I... I just have to throw stuff away, give it away, whatever it is. So no collecting things. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, the, I know. I've just. I'm, <laughs> all right. Cool. I get it. Well, so switching gears mm-hmm. in a very abrupt fashion. Um, what are your experiences being a black woman in the arts world mm-hmm. um, outside of Houston Arts Alliance? Because I know the the culture and environment here actually looks different than it does in a lot of arts organizations and even art events. Um, So what are your, what's your experience with that? So I guess it's been kind of interesting. So I joined the um, emerging um, arts leaders council with Americans for the arts. um, Not too long after I started here and um, it's like, a group of emerging arts administrators mm-hmm. under 35 years old and um, they sit on this council to both be thought leaders um, for the field but then also to help AFTA um, as like brand ambassadors um, like pushing its agenda okay. and Americans for the Arts AFTA does um, advocacy work for the entire field and sector okay. Um, so it's organizations such as that and grant makers in the arts and uh, grant makers for effective organizations. That's usually where I would engage yeah. on a national level. Um, and the I feel it's weird because every time I go out or like I'm in those spaces, every those other people who are on the council are from um, all over the U.S., and they don't have the benefit of living in a diverse city. And so mm. they have different experiences. And so when we're having conversations, they may ask about um, 
certain things that I haven't had to be subjected to because I'm not where they are. Yeah. And, um, and so it's been, it's just like, even with the, like Houston is just weird. Cause you, like you may be a, a Trump supporter, but a Trump supporter isn't going to come have a conversation with me about supporting Trump and all of their politics. Yeah. You tend to, at least in Houston, have conversations with people who align with your perspectives. Yeah. No one's like, Pro, I mean, not ever, but no one's, you know, down the street protesting. Like, we don't, I don't know, it's just kind of like weird. So I don't have those types of yeah. kind of very obvious in your face kind of experiences mm-hmm. that maybe some of my colleagues have had on the um, on the council. Yeah. Um, but early on at HAA, I was one of the only like person, people of color, like here working here, and I there was certainly like an element of tokenism that kind of took mm. place because it was just like there <laughs> in a different administration, different team, different people. Um, but there was definitely this one time, and I probably shouldn't even tell this story. But um, <laughs> it's not like that inflammatory, but it's just like one of the many um, okay. kind of examples. Um, and the um, the mayor was going to be here, and you know, Mayor Turner is very um, adamant about the um, about equity. Yeah. in these arts programs and processes. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a board meeting. I can't remember what, what the conversation was related to, mm-hmm. but everybody was showing up out here. Yeah. So they were like looking for me to greet the board members um, to go stand outside and greet people as they arrived. Um, and they couldn't find me because I was in a meeting with like a grantee they went to the other person of color <laughs> in the building to then go have her greet the people who are arriving for that particular meeting. And so it was just like little kind of situations like that. And um, get served, you know, a perp- it's like yeah. not having to do the work. It's just like hiring somebody in here. They don't actually have any kind of agency. Yeah. They can't, they're not contributing to any of the decisions and um, they're not able to really effectively make any kind of change. Yeah. All of that is different now. Um, HAA is like a, a completely different organization. Yeah. It's one that I love to come to every single day yeah. and I hope that I'm continuing to create that environment. Yeah. But back then, yeah. that was, you know, what was yeah. yeah perpetuated so i i can't well i guess i can't imagine what it was like cuz i've been in similar situations and i also remember going into arts organizations around 2010 and seeing things and it being kind of like oh we got one mm-hmm. let's show them off like <laughs> like kind of like yeah. uh uh the the tangerine in chief and being like, being like, oh, look at all my blacks. Like, mm-hmm. it's, yes, <laughs> I, I have Mexicans too. I'm not Mexican. Like it's, it's like mm-hmm. that kind of situation. So I mean, but I also have had time to talk to John, mm-hmm. and John is a very very smart man. But John is also a real person. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean that in terms of like 
hood real, not like, <laughs> like, like he's a real ass dude. And I, re- I appreciate that about him so much. I think my first full conversation with John in person, I, I was in shock most of the time because mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit, okay. Cool. So I can so I can really (laughs) talk to you. All right. Cool. So (laughs) so I know that from the conversation that he and I have had, he's very much about nah. We're not going to do this work Mm -hmm. for show. Right. If anybody's here for show, I need you to get out. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. We're passionate about this work, and we want to make sure that everyone is given a fair shot, given what's due based on the individual mm-hmm. and I love that so I'm, yeah. I mean I'm, I think my first experience um, we were at an art show when yeah. I met John and we were talking we were having a normal conversation about art trends and we got really into it mm-hmm. at an art show which was that sounds of, like John yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we were like, oh, I was like oh Mark we should definitely have him on the podcast and he was like I'd love to but I think it would be more appropriate for you to talk to Deidre and Haiti mm-hmm. and I told Mark when we were leaving I was like you know that really like struck a chord with me because most people in those types of positions don't see beyond themselves to step mm-hmm. out of the way. Unless it's something they don't want to do. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> I don't think that it was, he right. didn't want to do it because mm-hmm. we were having the conversation, but I appreciated that he saw the value <coughs> Sorry. in his team and said, you know, yeah, I can contribute to this conversation, but he saw more value in mm-hmm. you and Yadi and the rest of your team being a part of that. And I was, and I told him, I mean, I told Mark, I was like, I love him. Like that's a, yeah. the first interaction. I was like, that's a, that's a, it's not something you yeah. see often right. in any field. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. I mean, like I said, the organization is completely different. Everybody yeah. has agency within the organization. It's collective decision-making. Yeah. Everyone can, you know, influence the decisions that we're making. Everyone has a perspective. Everyone's encouraged to share that perspective. Um, it's it's entirely new. I'm so used to the hierarchy, the yeah. bureaucracy. The how is it going coming to work every day and feeling valued? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> like, enlighten, enlighten the rest of the 99 percent of people of color. <laughs> right? No, it's it is it is insane. Like even just sometimes you know you get caught so caught up in like your day to day that you even yeah. forget that this is like. Like it's a thing and it's a thing yeah. that you're experiencing that other people don't have the benefit of experiencing. But I think that's part of, you know, like why it's so important to me to kind of continue sh- that leadership pipeline, mm-hmm. yeah. not only like through HA, but like through my division and making sure that um, people who are reflective of the community get opportunities to serve in these roles. Yeah. Because certainly when I came over, you know, there was 28 people in the organization and there was only like three of us who um, were people of color. Yeah. And now I would say that the organization is either majority or half and half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, and it makes, it makes a huge difference in our work, yeah. like a significant difference. Well, so um, they, the thing is like, though there are some who think of it again as, uh, think of the, the words equity and diversity as mm-hmm. buzzwords, the truth of the matter is that um, no matter what industry you're in, mm-hmm. it will thrive through diversity yeah. because you have diversity of thought. You have people mm-hmm. that see things from different perspectives, right? So one of the things that has been a big conversation in tech forums is, you know, getting diversity in there for the smallest things, right? Like <sighs> yeah. trying to wash your hands, 
with mm-hmm. those automatic faucets, oh, right? Those things piss me off. Like, <laughs> oh, because they don't recognize. They yeah, don't they recognize. Don't, okay. Literally the other day, I was yeah. just like doing this <laughs> thing, yeah. and I never, I never think about that necessarily. I'm yeah. thinking, okay, this thing is broke, but okay, that makes total yeah. sense. So for for people who are much fairer skinned, mm-hmm. it's very easy to just put your hands on in there, start mm-hmm. washing, right? But if you are anywhere darker than the inside of an almond, mm-hmm. like. <laughs> You know, like, I'm never going to be able to go to the bathroom. Like, <laughs> you know, like, when you're, like, when you're, like, privy to certain things, you yeah. just can't look at stuff the same, yeah. and everything like, is, like, through this lens is now. Is this sink racist? Yes. Like, is this sink, like, literally, I'm going to have those conversations yeah. to myself. Well, it's weird, because, like, you, you have to show the palm of your hand, yeah. which feels so unnatural to put your hand under the faucet like that, yeah. right? But if you do that, it'll work. Yes. Mo- a good 85 to 90% of the time. Right, things like that, or like video games. My mm-hmm. son said he wants to be a video game designer now, so he's taking a digital animation course. And like, we we sat him down and we watched uh, Patriot Act, Hassan mm-hmm. Minaj's show, where he was talking about the video, the gaming industry, mm-hmm. and the fact that there are so many women being pushed out mm-hmm. and people of color being pushed out. So the hues that they use for black people in games are off. Right. And then mm. all of the women are built like Jessica Rabbit when it's like, okay, I, 37 years, well, 36 years on this earth, I've never met a woman built like Jessica Rabbit because uh, it's kind of hard to, it's just weird. Like, it doesn't make yeah. sense. Like, well, through surgery, you can achieve <laughs> yeah. a lot of things. Um, Very and, true. Very true. And while 30 years, I think there are more Jessica Rabbits on this uh, semi. <laughs> yeah, that exists this is now. True. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. It's, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. But in video games, it's not functional. You can't really yeah. climb a building with big boobs in the way. Apparently, <laughs> like, apparently so you can. But it's like, that's not real. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't even have on a sports bra. She's not, <laughs> right. she's not doing this. <laughs> I'm just saying. I've never thought about that. <laughs> like, just could not build, uh, climb a building with big boobs. But yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> the, the benefits of diversity and inclusion and equity have been proved time and time again, yet they've been ignored for decades. I mean, you literally cannot lose. But at the same time, like, if people still, you know, uh, are patrons of your service, if they still buy, if it doesn't really truly like affect your bottom line, like people aren't going to make any changes yeah. unless they genuinely want to. Very true. Very true. So what what are you looking forward to most about the close of this year with AJA? Because I know you guys, so your cycle kind of starts over again in January, correct? Um, well, no, we'll be doing um, more like self-reflection and evaluation okay. in the in the um, spring. So this process will have our 2020 grant cycle will have okay. ended and we'll just be um, maintaining at that point as okay. in like everyone's become a grantee. Okay. We're like walking them through what they need to do to make sure they're in compliance. And then we're evaluating and getting ready for the next uh, launch. Okay. Um, so what am I most looking forward to? I think like we've, you know, created a whole, we've created a lot more processes. Mm-hmm. Yadi and Quang, um, who are the uh, grant communication coordinators, Quang, and then Yadi is our grant manager. They're both new. Um, okay. So they've been with the organization for, um, under I'd say eight months. Okay. Um, and uh, 
but they've brought like so much to like to the team, to our processes, to our procedures, and making and even pushing you know yeah. us beyond like what we've traditionally done. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're they're learning everything for the first time during this process. So it's been like busy from the perspective of you're running a grant process, but then you're also orienting new people to the process. Yeah. Um, so I am most looking forward to just being done and going on vacation in December. <laughs> but then also it's just like when you're in this process, you never get to stop and look at like what actually took place, yeah. how much of an impact you had, um, how many different um I guess like new grantees have come um, yeah. to apply, how many conversations you've had, like you never stop to actually celebrate some of those small successes. Yeah. And so I'm also looking forward to that. I think uh, the team is gonna do like a karaoke night and nice. um, just get a few drinks and just have fun once we're like done, done. Yeah. yeah. So I'm also looking forward to that because it's been, it has been a roller coaster, but I can't <laughs> like, I have the absolute best team um and um and just like they're they come in they're positive every positive every every day um quang posts these little notes on um on mondays and it's like workplace positivity and he'll just do something related to like the crazy week that we had to just like turn it into a positive and um so it's just you know being able to enjoy all of this the, the labor yeah yeah for some reason, it just popped into my head that we forgot to talk about something that uh, HAA does that is awesome, and I believe you guys just started doing it in the wake of Harvey, and that is the uh, disaster preparedness um, yes. and relief uh, for artists yes. in the city. Can you talk about that a little bit? Not really, because I don't do <laughs> as much if I am completely honest and okay. I should be better um, but Lauren Hanley is okay. our special projects manager who takes that on um, it was derived from a response to Harvey mm-hmm. um, so a few organizations got together last year immediately after Harvey and said what can we do to support artists and arts organizations and um, they talked to funders they talked to you know like emergency planners they figured out like what money do we have available and and um, how can we like fundraise and created a um, um, a fund mm-hmm. to help um, artists, even in the smallest way, um, either recover some of the things that they lost. Yeah. And um, once that was done, they also helped um, put pull together other resources for them to consider or to go after um, that were you know much more substantial in terms of assistance. Yeah. And after that, um, the research um, came about as like, well, how can we actually maximize these efforts in the future? And how do we prepare people um, for the next disaster? You know, hoping that there is a next disaster, yeah. but mm, yeah, history, you know, just, yeah, just, just prepare. Yeah. And so um, that's been a lot of the work that Lauren is doing is so I haven't. I think it's amazing. I haven't like sat down and talked to her about yeah. all of it, but you know, it's it's interesting to uh, cross pollinate in this way. So she's talking to emergency preparedness planners yeah. and city officials and people in that sector, and advocating and saying art matters. 
Like, and, (laughs) um, and we also need to plan and prepare for not only our artists and arts organizations, but our arts institutions Mm -hmm. and the valuable items that they hold. And, um, and so it'll be really interesting to see the, like the, um, outcome of all of that work that she's been doing. Awesome. Well, one thing I want to ask you mm-hmm. as um, the grants director is if you had to give three tips to artists or organizations who are ready to take the plunge mm-hmm. and apply for grants, what three tips would you give them to consider, not just for HAA, but just mm-hmm. approaching the grant um, application process? Yeah, I'd say one, like have a conversation. Um, I think a lot of people just kind of like they'll go to the website, they'll read through all the things and they'll seem like overwhelming. Um, and I think when you have conversations and when you get assistance and uh, breaking down the information, when someone can clearly articulate what it is that they're actually asking for versus, you know, like there's something on paper, but then there's additional context that, that someone can provide. Mm-hmm. I think it can help um, kind of mitigate like the the fears and the apprehension if you just have a conversation about it because there's like a person behind that grant opportunity Mm -hmm. that can assist you um and then two i wouldn't think of it as i think it's um there have been multiple times where people have applied and they haven't gotten it Mm -hmm. and then they've applied three or so times in a row um and then like the fourth time they've received the grant and um i think not just uh, just thinking about it from the perspective of, oh, I didn't get this money, I'm really mad about it, but how did it contribute to your process? Sometimes you don't even have a plan of how you're going to actually like execute this yeah. uh, art project, and these grant programs can help you even come up with a plan, like what are the resources I actually need to support this work? Mm-hmm. Um, who else can I talk to? What are the strategies that I'm going to take? One... Um, one artist hopped on like Facebook and reached out to all of her um, followers, um, friends, and family, and said, "Hey, can you give five dollars to my event?" And that allowed her to raise enough dollars to support the other half of the the grant um, from the grant money that she got. So a supplemental, um, but she had to figure out like what are those steps I'm going to actually yeah. take to do that. And I think the grant process helps. And then I think the other thing is. Um, a lot of people are always confused about like what are work samples and um, it's it's very interesting but it's just kind of like having a body and a history of your work and then also working with people to figure out how to communicate what your work is Um, I think everyone feels like or like the way we the way you have to talk about art is very um, academic Um, But for a lot of grants programs, that's not necessarily true. And so I think kind of establishing a range of the different ways in which you're talking about your work and having that kind of on hand will help you apply more frequently to other grants opportunities. Yeah. Those are great tips. I mean, I told you once I saw the lineup, I was like, grants. And I started... I did. I deep dive. I was like, oh, there's so many tips, but all of them. Yeah. Some of them seem common sense, and some of them seem specific to how do you be successful? Yeah. In applying for grants, and it's hard. And the things that seem like intuitive aren't necessarily yeah. like so, especially when you're first coming to this process. And that's why that's why it's always like great to have a conversation because yeah. sometimes you just need to like yeah. get over the fear. Yeah. First. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, grants are often intimidating when thinking about them Mm -hmm. 
And actually, a lot of applications can be very intimidating. I appreciate the HAA uh, grant process because it's actually not painful at all. <laughs> like, I got to the end of it, and I was like, oh, shit, I'm done? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, it was kind of like, oh, okay. Whereas, you know, there have been other grants that I've applied for uh, with our podcast and just in my own personal work. And I'm just like, dude, are you serious? Why is this 15 pages long? Like, I already wrote about that on page five, subsection A. Like, I don't know what the hell. Like, (laughs) I need 12 samples. Like, that's a lot of samples. Like, I I mean, usually when you see work or, you know, you can kind of feel it within five. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 12 is a full show for yeah. some people, you know, yeah. so it's like, mm, I don't know. But, yeah, no, I, I I wholeheartedly appreciate everything that you guys have going on. Um, I think it's, uh, well, I don't think, I know it's important to artists um, and to the community. And I, I, I look forward to seeing what it becomes because I know you guys are working very hard at um, not only changing uh yourselves in the way that you know your processes are going and the inclusivity of everything but also changing the conversation that surrounds arts in houston which will eventually have a ripple effect um because institutionally uh the art community is just as screwed up as our beautiful country Mm -hmm. um absolutely yeah just being honest there's side eye moments Um, but no, I mean, really, it's 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 very, very, I can't even, I'm just going to sound like tangerine now. Oh. Very, very, very important. Yes. <laughs> but it is. And uh, where can our audience find or connect with Houston Arts Alliance online? Okay, so um, www.houstonartsalliance.com. Um, the short link is haatx.com um, and all of our grant opportunities are there you should certainly sign up for our um, e-newsletter I don't know when this will go live but um, we have a grant application closing in two weeks so September 20th and then if you miss that deadline we have another one um, November 1st for the let creativity happen okay. which um, arts exploit explanatory comma was a a recipient um that is like a mouthful um (laughs) i say aec for short but that also tripped me up well so it's also funny because ben you know ben uh one of my good friends he makes fun of us because when you look at the name he always sees art sex um (laughs) which is kind of like I get it, but at the same time, like, dude, calm down. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's really now funny. I'm not gonna ever not see. It. Right, Thanks, this man. is one of those things. <laughs> but that's only on our on our Instagram because yeah. it's actually spelled out there. Uh, okay, but okay. everywhere else, like you know, X comma yeah, X comma yeah. pod on Twitter, and you know, you see all three words. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. And what about and social then, media? Um. Mm. I am so old, but it's like Houston Arts Alliance yeah. at Houston Arts Alliance on Instagram, and then the Houston Arts Alliance is our Facebook page, and I do not know our Twitter. Um, 
we are not on there as, um, as active on that platform. Yeah. yeah. And then just, you know, stop by the office, give us a call, 713-527-9330, um, or even email grants at haatx.com um, for any questions that you may have about um, grant opportunities. And it could be just like, what am I eligible for? Ask that question. And don't be afraid to ask the question. Ask all the questions you need to. And for the people who see you out and about in Houston, where do you get your glasses? <laughs> um, I got them from iGallery. I gal- I okay, I can't even talk. iGallery. I it's in um, Montrose, like down the street from okay. our offices. I, think, I was about to say, like, people aren't here and they're not going to be here when this plays. Yeah, but yeah. What about you? Well, I So, Zinni, okay. I'm all online. Yeah. So, Zinni, Firmu, uh, Oh my God. Pain glasses okay. is great. And Zelo. I haven't ordered from Zelo yet, but okay. all the other ones have been great. I'm always afraid because I they have to be like a certain width and I like this part to be fairly yeah. big. And I don't know. Like Warby Parker doesn't really make big glasses and oh, I just assume no. that all everybody else does no. either. Yeah. My wife also loves them. Mm-hmm. Um Vernique likes to order big glasses. Um, for her big eyes and um, she all those websites have them like especially Firmu Firmu and Zelo Zelo has really creative glasses like they have some that are one eye is a circle the other is a square oh really yeah I keep looking at them like that might be kind of cool but that's a little much though but I say that while wearing these glasses and these are also a little much but whatever um, <laughs> but yeah, no, they have great glasses. So if hey, you know, Zinni, Zelo, Firmu, if any pain, if any of you guys want to sponsor, that's fine. Just contact us. I mean, get that sponsor. I, so I haven't you know been an artist yet who does not wear glasses. So target. <laughs> Hello, I've ordered two pairs from Firmu, so I'm just saying, you guys holla. But Deidre, we want to thank you for being on our wonderful podcast. Yes, I called our podcast wonderful because it is i think so um it is wonderful thank you and all of houston arts alliance for uh our grant we appreciate that because uh you know equipment ain't cheap it's not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and making sure we have good quality sound is very important because you know that, otherwise you wouldn't be able to hear us um but no thank you very much um and yeah i'm excited i i I've enjoyed this conversation. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, why, why are you laughing Thank at you. me? <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Well, thank you all for listening to Arts Explanatory Comma with Raquel Simone and Mark Francis. Peace. Bye.